An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get ready and go south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now this road is not used nowadays. So Philip got ready and went. Now an Ethiopian eunuch who was an important official in charge of the treasury of the Queen of Sheba was on his way home. And he had been to Jerusalem to worship God and was going back home to his, in his carriage. And as he rode along, he was reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit said to him, Go over to that carriage and stay close to it. So Philip ran over and heard him reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And the official replied, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And he invited Philip to climb up and sit in the carriage with him. And the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. Like a sheep that is taken to the slaughter. Like a lamb that makes no sound when its wool is cut off. He did not say a word. He was humiliated. And justice was denied him. And no one will be able to tell about his descendants. Because his life on earth has come to an end. And the official asked Philip, tell me, of whom is the prophet saying this? Of himself or someone else? And then Philip began to speak. And starting from this passage of scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they travelled down the road, they came to a place where there was some water. And the official said, here is some water. What is to keep me from being baptised? And the official ordered the carriage to stop. And both Philip and the official went down into the water. And Philip baptised him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord took Philip away. And the official did not see him again. But he continued on his way full of joy. And Philip found himself in Azutos. And he went on to Caesarea. And on the way he preached the good news in every town. And I'm glad we sang some of the songs we sung this morning about God having the world in his hands. When sometimes it doesn't seem that God has got the world in his hands and that God is in control. But I just thought how wonderful that uh, God, God has. God has got the world in his hands and he must be so sad at some of the things that he sees happening 
And we need to pray that many people come to Christ. God is in the business of winning men and women and children to Christ. And we need to pray with tender hearts, not hatred, wants of forgiveness for all those people who want to bring that kind of... God won you amazingly to Christ. He knew everything about you. He knew everything about me and yet he brought me to himself. And do you know what? He still loves me. I marvel at that because I know myself pretty well. Do you know yourself pretty well? I'm not talking in any kind of deep kind of... But we know what we're made of, don't we? We know how foul we can be. We know how bad-tempered we can be. We know how stupid we can be. I can see one or two people looking at one another right now. (laughs) And yet he loves us. And he's prepared a place for us that we might be with him forever. If you look around at the folk next to you, get used to them because you're going to spend an awful long time with them. Not that the sermon's going to be that long, but that eternity, (laughs) eternity's a long time. That blows me away that God has set a place for me to be with him forever. And he knows what I'm made of. Wow. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall not die, but yet shall he live And God was in the business of sending his people who were open. How open we need to be day by day. Sending his people to go to places, to speak to the right people at the right time. Because God knows what his mission is. This is a brilliant passage. I'm going to read it through in a minute, but not from the good news. We have the good news. This is going to be the NIV. I remember a story of a guy, I think his wife was used to this, but one day God spoke to him and said, I want you to go and get on that bus. So he got on a particular bus, and the bus, God saying, whereabouts, whereabouts? And God saying, go to the airport on the bus. He went to the airport on the bus. He'd only gone out for a bottle of milk in the first place. And his wife would have, but she knew what he was like. She knew these things happened. Eventually, he got on a plane to Australia. And God sent him down a certain street in a certain town to a certain door. Where there was an engagement with God. A part of me thinks, was nobody listening in Australia? The one thing I find it hard is to listen to God, to really learn. I get so many things blasting through my mind. I remember the Welsh revivalist, Evan Roberts. He used to say, he nearly drove him crazy in the end. I don't know whether God's speaking to me, the devil's speaking to me, or they're my own thoughts. And the discerning, trying to discern what God's saying and what God's doing. Acts 8. I'm starting to be challenged um, that I can probably see it better now. I've even wrote it out like Paul in my own fair hand. It probably would have been a good idea to put my glasses on, but if I stand about here, are you ready? Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, 
go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And I like the good news, it said the old road. I like going walking up the old road, do you? There's an old road between Bakup and Shiny Ford. The new one, it's been there long enough, you can't really call it new. It's a bit boring, there's lots of cars on it. There's no cars on the old road. And it's a wonderful walk. It's not tarmacked, it's just probably like the way John Wesley went up it. Maybe a bit more stone on it. But the angel of the Lord had had instructions and knew exactly where he should go. The old road, not the new road, the old road. There had been a war in uh, AD 93 and the old Gaza had been smashed to pieces. And there had been a new Gaza made. So the angel wanted to make sure that Philip was going to the right place. Now, sometimes when you set your sat-nav, it could send you anywhere unless you really kind of have an idea of where you're going, can it? I know of people who've been sent up to farms, way away from where they want to go. The angel of the Lord knew exactly where Philip needed to go. He was listening. He'd learned to spend time with God and listen. So the desert road, so he sets off. A bit like Tonto on the Lone Ranger, galloping along on his feet. That goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It'd be like the M6 going through Palestine, down into Egypt. And there was an event waiting to happen. So he started out. He didn't say why. He didn't say, now, hold on a minute, let me just uh, work the figures out, um, he went when he had to go. If he hadn't have gone when he had to go, he would have missed the reason he had to go. Maybe God would have asked somebody else. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. You don't meet them every day, do you? You don't meet many Ethiopians, really. I mean, it wasn't often they met an Ethiopian there. What strikes me is, Jesus had not long said, we're in Acts 8 here, Jesus had not long said, start in Jerusalem, go into Samaria. Well, Philip had done the Samaria bit, and he'd had great success. Now he wanted him to go to this quiet road, this old road. Not the M6 of them, the old road. Start in Jerusalem, into Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now at the time, Egypt and Ethiopia certainly were really, in their eyes, the ends of the earth. I don't think many of them would have travelled much further. They didn't have Qantas, they didn't have any of these fancy jets back then. It was all donkey power and leg power. It was the ends of the earth. God had a plan. Do you believe God's got a plan? I'm so glad there's one or two people like that. One or two vacant faces. Sometimes I wonder if God's got a plan. I've been waiting and pondering on a few words for a long time. And you start to think, God, have you got a plan? Do you, do you, know, do you know what you're doing? I'd maybe the person who'd be asking the questions, are you, are you sure, God? This doesn't feel right. It's a, in our rational minds, we think it through, don't we? He's got a plan. So he started out, and he met the Ethiopian eunuch. Now it's interesting, because this confuses me, Bob. 
Because in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 32, which you'll all know really, really well, it says anybody who's a eunuch or had certain parts of their body crushed, I don't know how that happens, but um, emancipated in any way, cannot be amongst the assembly of God's people. Deuteronomy 32, you'll all be dashing home later and having a good read of that, won't you? And then you find a situation here where God's about to do a work in an Ethiopian eunuch who by some people would be really looked down the nose at. And yet, where he comes from, he's in charge of number 11 Downing Street of Ethiopia. In all the finances, God is doing something. He's got a plan. He was an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candice, Queen of the Ethiopians. That's a kind of title, a motherly title for the queens. She was the queen of the Ethiopians, a very, very prosperous country, made money in gold and mining, very well off. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. What on earth was he going all the way to Jerusalem to worship for? Why wouldn't he worship in Ethiopia? Because he saw something in the God of the Israelites that he didn't see in his own country. He saw something about the life of the people. He saw something about the power of a God. He'd heard things. He'd read things. And in his own country, he thought, there's nothing really to this. Some people just follow religion and they go through the rituals. There'd be some kind of religion going on. But it was nothing of any real importance. A whole load of immorality going on. When we look at some of the suicide bombers, when we read some of the papers, we see a whole load of immorality behind their behaviour. The drug taking, the booze taking after events. The fact that some of them never even read the Quran. In fact, some of them only put some of their headgear on a month before the attacks. That's nothing to do with the goodness of God, is it? Are they God? This guy was fed up of the behaviour back in Ethiopia and he wanted substance in the God that he worshipped. So on he went, all that way. Remember Mary Jones walking 26 miles for a Bible? Well, I don't personally remember it, but I've heard the story. This man went hundreds of miles to worship in Jerusalem because he felt it was worth it. Would we set off and walk to Cornwall to go to church this morning? I think I'd rather stay in bed myself. When you hear of people who've gone into Russia with Bibles, we hear about reading your Bible this morning, the lack of Bible reading and Bible knowledge in our country amongst Christians. And yet... When they see a new Bible, there was a man who'd had one for about a hundred years, a whole Bible, tattered and torn, and someone put a brand new Bible in his hand, and it, it was like you'd put a million pounds in his hand. Anyone do the 113 million pound lottery this weekend? European lottery? Oh, good to know. <clears throat> if you'd won it though, I'd come and visit you. Yeah? 
It was like you'd put an immense amount of money in his hand. He was so pleased. He wanted the truth. And when you've got the truth, it'll set you free. When you've got the truth, nothing else matters. Sell everything to get the truth, Jesus said. He got up to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit, what was he doing reading the book of Isaiah? How did he get hold of the book of Isaiah? Do you think someone had gone in early and handed him a Bible? Well, we know there was not much of that, but he's got a parchment. I mean, it's not every day someone could buy a parchment. It meant so much to him, he'd put a lot of money into it. He's reading it. He means business with it. It cost him a lot. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now the chariot was probably, in our equivalent times, it'd be like the president coming to town or the, the prime minister. There'd be armed guards around it in one way or another. They wouldn't have Kalashnikovs or, but there'd be armed guards. It would be hard to get, you'd have questions in your head. And he went and he stood and he would negotiate his way to be able to listen to what was going on. He probably read very loud or had someone read Isaiah to him. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. He went and he stayed near it. Can you imagine staying next to a chariot and it's bumbling along? Remember, anybody remember the days when you had to carry a flag in front of a car? That was four mile an hour. That's something. Walking at four mile an hour is something, isn't it? Imagine being in front of a chariot. Imagine running along next to a chariot and trying to listen to someone reading the Bible. But he did it. The Spirit told him, go. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. How did he know he was reading Isaiah the prophet? He knew his scriptures. The guy wasn't saying, uh, verse 1, Isaiah 53. He knew he was reading Isaiah 53. Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. You find sometimes you're reading the Bible and you haven't got a clue what it's going on about. I do. What on earth is this talking about? And then you'll take it and you'll, you'll have an idea. And somebody else will tell you something completely different. Particularly if you're in certain theological places. And you can have one theological place say one thing, one theological place say another thing. Know the truth. And it'll set you free. Do you understand? How can I? Unless someone explains it to me. How we need to know the scriptures... And how we need to know how to explain. Particularly in this day. Where people will be asking lots of questions. We've never had such an erosion of what we believe as Christians. The Dan Brown books. Anybody read them? 
Isn't it a good read? They're full of unfactual. I've never read them, but I'm told they're full of unfactual claptrap. That people. Did you know Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene? Did you know that? People are coming up to me like it's a fact. People who've been in church for years. And you want to bang your head on the floor. How? Because they're more inclined to understand and listen to what Dan Brown said than what the Bible says or doesn't say. Know your word that you can explain or do your best to explain. We won't know everything. So he invited Philip to come up with him and sit with him. And the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. I love Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. I love it. And again, evidence of what's been spoken about Christ that was going to happen several hundred years later. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearers is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, full of questions. I like people full of questions. Not only do you grow by them asking you whole loads of questions because you've got to work out what you know. And it's never shameful to say, you know, I'm not really sure about that. Let's meet again next week and go and find out. The eunuch asked the question, was this the prophet? Who is the prophet talking about? Himself? Or is he talking about someone else? Who is he talking about? Well, that's an interesting one. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture. And this is, this is the technique of an evangelist. And we're all evangelists in one sense, whether it be a little e or a big e. He was going to point him, no matter what, to Jesus. Always weave a conversation, whether it's in the pub or wherever it is. I like to try and weave it. Somehow I'm waiting for the moment to get in there. In a nice, polite, kind, non-Bible-bashing, pushy way, hopefully, to weave it to Jesus. He wove it to Jesus. Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the bad news about Jesus and going to church. Well, that's how it sounds sometimes, isn't it? That's how some people receive it sometimes. That's sometimes how we go to church meeting tonight. Flipping out. I'd rather plat sawdust. Oh, it's anything but good news. Is that the way it should be? Or I can't wait to meet with Bill, Peter, Bill, tonight. Bill, Peter, Peter, Bill. I can't wait to meet with him tonight to discuss the things of Jesus and how we can win people. How we can be more open to one another and God and love one another more. Got to go to the church meeting tonight. Does it have to be that way? And we come and we meet together and we plan together and it's good news. Because if it's not good news, if we don't think it's good news, and that word's really overused, isn't it? It's even named the Bible after it. Good news Bible. If it's not good news, and we don't think it's good news, oh, we're walking around a bit like this, a bit miserable all the time. 
And there's times to be miserable, isn't there? But in the misery, to actually have a deep joy, because often that's where I've found the deepest joy, when I'm absolutely on the floor. Isn't that strange? That actually Jesus seems to touch you most when you're going through the hardest times. It's great to be on the mountain. And that's the test sometimes of where you are with God. When in the difficult times, you're not doing what Mr. Cameron has openly said, thinking, I'm not sure I believe in God. And sometimes it's all right to say that, as long as we get get orientated back on course. And that's why it's good to be part of church. But he explained the good news about Jesus. Not give us your money. Not standing up in the town centres as you're here. People going on with themselves. They think they're proclaiming Christ, but actually as you walk past, you think, oh, will you shut up? You're depressing me. Tell them some good news, will you? And you're biting your lips not to go up to them. And folk mean well. And some people do that really well, and some people do it in a way that people walk past and think, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to go to heaven if that's what it's like. It's good news. And how it needs the smell of good news. That people like being round Eric. Is Eric good to be around? <laughs> speak, speak now. <laughs> does, does he smell of a really good news Christian? Well, I mean, I, I mean, if it's, it's, it's in a row or with you, sorry for picking on you. <laughs> but we all should not just picking on Eric. And sorry if we went round the room and not pick on Peter Bill again because I'll get his name wrong. But if we went round the room, do we all have a flavour of Jesus? Are we good to be around? Are we, no, I don't want to be around him for much longer again. Oh, oh. Sometimes people can be like that, can't they? Imagine being around Dot on EastEnders for long. He shared the good news. People go into certain shops because it's to them it's good news. They're going to get a good product. Otherwise they won't go back. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water. It's not the first thing I'd think about if I was on a hot, dusty road. What he's about to say, look, water, let's have a good drink. Way! Look, water, what's stopping me from being baptised? Why shouldn't I be baptised? Now, if we're in a Baptist church, we see, now, hold on a minute. We need to understand, we need to know that you understand what you're talking about. You need to come on a seven-week course, and we'll interrogate you, we'll try and put you off, and then we'll have a meeting of the members and we'll make up our minds whether we like you or not. Oh, I don't like him. I'm going to vote against him. He's a eunuch. We don't want any of them. Why shouldn't I be baptised? Now, there's a verse. Not in the NIV. I don't know if it's in the Mickey Mouse version. The good, sorry, the good news. <laughs> the good news version. Philip said. Verse 27, sorry, verse 37. If you believe with all your heart, it doesn't say this in the NIV, you may. If you believe with all your heart, 
It's a good Baptist probably put this in, didn't they? The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What's to stop him being baptised? I believe it with all my heart. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then he creates a lot of hassle and havoc in the church after he's been baptised. Because he didn't really believe it. These are all conundrums, aren't they? But you can tell over a period of time whether someone has taken on the good news, can't you? You can tell. They start to change. I mean, they might have a hiccup every now and again. They might fall out with somebody or... No, never. Well, it's true. We have this glowing thing about people who become Christians sometimes. Don't we? that they're angels all the time. Never say a cross word. If I were part of your church, I'd get up your nose and I'd come down the other side. And I'd probably upset one or two people. And you'd probably upset me. Doesn't that happen in your own family? It's about being real. But you know when someone loves and is walking with Jesus. In the ups and downs of the life. And we see beyond just the mask of the front when we get to know people. We see beyond and we sharpen one another. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Did the eunuch. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And Philip got on with the job and baptised him. How do you think he baptised him? Let's get on to some real good Baptist doctrine. Do you think he said, no, you stay there eunuch. Just kneel down and I'll go and get a splash of water. There you go. You're baptised now. Go in the name of Christ. Or do you think he got hold of him and he gave him a really good dunking? Have you heard about the guy who was baptising people much later than when Jesus was around? It wasn't that long ago. In the River Jordan. It was in a deep part, a bit like this, in the River Jordan. And he was baptising people. He was a Pentecostal, charismatic and full-on. Wide-eyed. You've met them, haven't you? Not there's anything wrong with that. Wide-eyed, and this young man who has just happened to be on his holidays came across this crowd of people who were queuing up to be baptised, and he just grabbed hold of this guy, and he wasn't there to be baptised. Have you found Jesus? And the guy looks at him a bit, put out, and before he knows it, his head's underneath the water, and he's gurgling because he wasn't quite ready, because you've got to hold your nose and know when you're going down, haven't you? He's in the water, and he comes up. <laughs> Have you found Jesus? And the guy's, before he knows it, he's down again, Bob. He pulls him, Have you found Jesus? And because he's no reply, he goes down again. On the third time he comes up, Have you found Jesus? And the bloke turns around to him and says, Are you sure this is where he went in? <laughs> he went down he was baptised hopefully not like that when they came up out of the water the spirit of the Lord suddenly I like this took Philip away lots of speculation in different Bible colleges about this some believe because he went to Azotus well it's the Old Testament Ashdod it's miles away suddenly now some believe that he was just transported 
Ooh, that takes some faith, doesn't it? But that's really interesting. I don't know what other explanation there is, but he suddenly vanished. Maybe Doctor Who was around. I doubt it. But... When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. You know, if someone comes to Christ and says they believe in Christ, and they're cantankerous, and they're nasty, and they're underhanded, and they're always picking fault with people, and they're not rejoicing in the newfound faith, I would ask serious questions. In a nice way. I would ask questions. There can be people who were in church for donkey's years, and when you've been around a bit, you find out, who are horrible. I can have my moments myself, but consistently. Horrible. What's that got to do with rejoicing and being full of the Spirit and loving God? Sometimes we've gone to churches to do mission. For them to do mission, and we've found out that actually there needs to be a mission in the church to start with. Because until we really meet Jesus and fall in love with him and are filled with his spirit, we're not full of rejoicing. And I know life can bring things to us that for a period of time we don't feel like rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea, Caesarea. Because the Lord God had a mission. He will build his church. And I'll tell you, I feel the fields are ripe. People now are asking questions, I think, more than ever, about the reality of what life's all about. Because they never know what's around the corner. Me and Richard weren't long ago on the London, not the London Underground and the New York Underground. You never know what might happen to you. You don't know who's getting on with what rucksack. What's in that rucksack over there? You don't know. You never know when you might meet your maker. How urgent it is as Christians that we're ready and we're listening to tell and go. I think Philip would wake up in the morning and be only too eager and ready to say, God, what do you want me to do today? This is the day. This is the day. He would probably sing every day. If you were in church, he'd get on your wake, wouldn't he? But every day, he would be ready. He'd be excited about life. Like the little boy that just moved into a new house. And the parents, the little boy, was getting on the parents' wick. He'd be running around with bouncing balls and all that kind of thing. And he was getting on the wick. And in the end, they said, put him out in the courtyard where we sort the house out. Well, a few minutes later, ten minutes later, he came back. Mummy, mummy, daddy, daddy, all the new houses in the avenue have got bells. And they all work. We might get people in church who want to ring all the bells and they're probably quite annoying. But he was excited and he got the job done. Philip was excited. Sometimes we think excitement's a thing for young Christians. 
You get over your excitement when you grow up. I don't read that about Philip. I don't read that about Paul or Peter or any of those. And the other thing that strikes me, why didn't God send in some of those big guns instead of Philip? Who was Philip but a table waiter? Filled with a spirit table waiter. But why didn't Peter get sent in? Or some of the apostles? Why did they send Philip? Because God uses the ordinary people. Any ordinary people here? That blows me away. And he went and preached the gospel to an Ethiopian eunuch. A eunuch. Read Deuteronomy 32. Because God knew that that Ethiopian eunuch would go back to Ethiopia and rejoicingly do a Philip. And you know, we look back through history and we find that Ethiopia flourished as a Christian country. And then people from Ethiopia would go to other places and it was infectious. And it actually started when the church was persecuted. And folk left. But they left full of excitement about spreading the good news. How we need to spread the good news. Those people did not wake up that morning when they went out to a pop concert in Paris thinking, tonight's the night. We won't come home. They didn't know. Those people sat outside the bar having a chill and a cigarette didn't expect that to be their final night. How urgent is our message to go? How urgent is our message to listen?